Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit DestinyDayton.com. I want to jump into the Word of God. I want to continue this series on faith that I started a number of weeks ago. Just looking at the ring, anybody have just a guesstimate on who I might be talking about in the Bible today? Someone who doesn't know. <laughs> a couple of you might know. I know who you're preaching on today because you told me, Pastor Eric. Anybody have just a wild guess who I might be? Well, first of all, what is that a picture of? Oh, some of you said the, the key word there, a wrestling ring. Okay, who in the Bible may have had a little experience with wrestling? Anybody here? I hear Jacob. Good. Well, if you said Jacob, you got it right. So I'm going to have you stand, stand tall and proud. Get your Bible out. Genesis 32. We're going to dive in. How many ready to roll today in the word of God? Come on, let's all stand. Come on, unless you're physically unable, I want everyone to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Hallelujah. I remind you, the Bible is not the good book. I mean, no, the Bible's not the good book. Right? The Bible is God's word. Treasure Island was a good book. Moby Dick, pretty good. Not bad. Right? Pride and Prejudice, yeah, that's a good book. Right? Movie's kind of boring, but a good book. You know, for a chick flick, it's okay. Sorry, I, I just got to be honest. I got to, I just got <laughs> I can't say I love it when I don't, but it's okay, okay? The Bible is God's holy word to us today. It was not dictated by God. It didn't fall out of the sky in a plastic bag into our laps. God moved holy men and women of the Bible in the past, and the Holy Spirit guided them and gave them words and directed them and through their encounters with God and through how God used them in their culture, they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit to write words that God wanted us to have today. And over the 2000 year period and longer that we have the Bible in our hands, much blood has been shed to get this book, this Bible, right? The God's word into your hands. Uh, there's been people that have been burned at the stake because they translated the Bible in English. There's people that have been uh, beheaded because they translated the Bible in certain languages. My point is the devil has fought tooth and nail for 2,000 years since Jesus ascended to keep God's word, to keep the message of the gospel out of the hands of common people like you and me. But the good news is still today, every single year, the Bible continues to be the number one bestseller on the planet because I want to tell you, God has protected his word. God has preserved his word. Listen, it's not supposed to be a science manual. It's not even supposed to be a history manual. It is a message of what God has done in our lives, how God has intersected with the lives of men and women and how the power of Jesus Christ can save us and transform our lives. This is what the word of God is. It is a message to those who need ransomed and redeemed and transformed because you know, humankind, we have a problem. It's called sin. The only cure, the only solution to the sin problem is the blood of Jesus Christ. 
That's what this book's about. That's why the devil fights it. That's why the devil doesn't want people to have it. But we got bad news for the devil today. We got them in spades today, right? We got several copies at our house. We got them on our phones. The word of God is free online. You can get it anywhere now. Now, here's the other challenge that comes with this. It's not enough to have a Bible. We have to live what the word says. You can see, we, we get that first demon conquered. Okay, well, we got the word of God. We got saturation with the word of God for the most part. There's a few pockets on the planet that don't have the word of God yet, but they're getting there and they're moving in and missionaries are, are there creative ways to get the word of God into different languages. But I want to tell you, here's a challenge in America. We are inundated. We got churches on every corner. We got Bibles upon Bibles in our homes covered with dust. The key is now we must obey and live of what the Holy Spirit is saying through the Word of God. Amen? I have a feeling I'm in the right place today. That sounds good. All right. Genesis 32. We're just going to start right with verse 1. They're going to jump around through this chapter. Verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. How many would like to have a day like that? I was on my way, and the angels of God met me. Some of you would look at me like I have seven heads. Some of you look at me that way anyway when I preach. But I just just imagine if I got up here and said, I was driving down the road and there was like a blockade of angels in the road and I had to get out and talk to them for a little bit, right? When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is the camp of God. So he nicknamed that place Mahanaim. So Jacob sent messengers on ahead to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the region of Edom. Okay, let's go down to verse 22. So just to give you a little backdrop here, Jacob is on his way to meet with his brother Esau. What, what, what unfortunate event happened between Jacob and his brother Esau? He stole the birthright from him. Because Jacob was kind of shysty. Well, not kind of, he was. His name means heel grabber or deceiver, Right? That's about to change here in a moment. Jake is about, come to fa- about to come face to face with all his weaknesses and flaws. Because he's going to have an encounter that we can read, we can track it in the Bible, it changes him. He was about to meet his brother Esau. He was afraid. So remember the story he was sending ahead here. Let's send 500 sheep. His Because Jacob was prosperous, right? He, he, uh, I'll send him 500 sheep. Let's send him a bunch of goats. We'll send some cattle. We'll send money. Like we're, we're going to drown out Esau's anger with all like Esau is going to be wealthy by the time this is all over with. So Jacob was sending everybody ahead. He finally sent his his family across the river and Jacob said, I am going to stay here on this side of the river by myself because this, I believe, is an encampment of the Lord. I I have encountered angels here and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to spend the night here. So here we pick it up in verse 22. Everybody there? During the night, Jacob quickly took his two wives, his female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. And then he took them and sent them across the stream with all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Everyone say alone. Okay, now something bizarre here happens in this story. We're not given a lot of detail. But suddenly we just see that Jacob suddenly finds himself grappling in like a, a fight, if you will. 
Because the Bible says that Jacob found himself wrestling and some man, the Bible says, until daybreak. Quite a fight. And when the man saw that he could not defeat Jacob. Hold on, let me close that out. Okay. I touched the wrong thing in my Bible and 50 notes pop up. So that's usually a good thing, but not when I'm trying to read it. All right. So Jacob was left alone. The man wrestled with When the man saw that he could not defeat Jacob, and by the way, Jacob could not defeat him either, he struck the socket of his hip, and his hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Does anyone ever have a, a, a dislocated hip? Anyone ever? That's painful, right? You ever had what they call in football, sometimes you get a hip pointer, they call it, where, where you get hit, and, and, and maybe that, that bone just moves just a little bit in the socket. It's maybe not a complete dislocation, but man, it hurts. It hurts. So some of your translations say that, that Jacob's, that the angel that he's wrestling with here, touched his hip. Okay, that Hebrew word means touch or strike. But the context here is he dealt him a blow. He just didn't touch the socket. He, he struck him a blow, right? That was meant to hurt him. And the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. I will not let you go, Jacob replied, unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob. No longer will you be called or no longer will your name be Jacob, the man told him. But Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob said, please tell me your name. And he said, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob name called the place Peniel, explaining, certainly, I have seen God face to face and have survived. And the sun rose over him as he crossed Peniel, but he was limping because of his hip. That is why to this day Israelites do not eat the sinew which is attached to the socket of the hip, because he struck the socket of Jacob's hip near the attached sinew. I think when we read this story, there's a lot of we don't understand. There's some things that aren't clear. I think it is clear that Jacob wrestled an angel of the Lord here. I think it's also clear that that there was there was more that was meeting the eye than than we perhaps can see on the surface at first glance. But what I want to dive in because there's a lot of things we could talk about in this passage that are very interesting. But what I really want to focus on is the faith that Jacob displays here. And I think we're all familiar with the humble, pious faith, uh, you know, the quiet, hey, oh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll just trust and we'll be quiet and we'll just you will know, we'll quietly suffer and put our faith in the Lord. But the faith that endures through hard times and difficult circumstances, the, the faith that keeps us pushing forward, we, you know, we understand that level of faith. But how about the kind of faith that is not satisfied to stand in line and take whatever is being passed out? 
This is where I think sometimes in the American culture, in the American church, we have missed this level of faith. We understand the humble, pious faith. We understand trusting God through hard times. We understand faith to keep pushing and moving forward. But how about the kind of faith that, shall I say, is defiant? We see this brought together so beautifully, not only in this story, but other places in the Old Testament. We see the three Hebrew children, as they're called, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, when they stood before the king. They said, we're going to throw you in the fire if you don't bow down and worship the king. Well, that's fine. You can go ahead and throw us in the fire, but we're still not going to bow down. What is that? That is a defiant faith. I would suggest this morning as we speak and and let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts on this topic that we allow God to develop a defiant faith in our hearts. Lord Jesus, I just pray and declare over this awesome group of people filled in this room today, I pray, Lord Jesus, that your power would just surge into their hearts. I pray, God, that defiant faith would be raised up in the name of Jesus. But, God, we know that defiant faith is born through intimacy with You. So, God, again, our first and greatest sermon here at Destiny Church is that we have got to get intimate with You. We've got to have a prayer life. We've got to have a life in the Word. We have to have a life that listens to the Holy Spirit because we'll never move in a kind of faith that'll move mountains, that'll that'll survive fiery furnaces that'll enable us to wrestle with an angel and succeed unless we have a defiant faith god i speak that over this awesome group of people today in the name of jesus christ i pray amen you may be seated keep your bible open there's something risky that i love in this mysterious story There's something that we can't quite maybe put our finger on, but this we know. Jacob was at a place where the angels of the Lord were encamping. This wasn't the first time that that Jacob had an encounter. A few chapters earlier, right? He fell asleep in an area that he called Bethel. We call it the house of the Lord. And he had a dream that angels, right, were descending and ascending on what looked like a ladder, right? And the Lord spoke to him through that dream. So we understand Jacob, this wasn't his first encounter. But there was something here in this story that just grabs my heart. And I, I just have to share with you today what the Lord has spoken to me because I believe there's something here for each of us today if we're willing to go deeper in God. I want you to see something about faith today and I want to start with this that rarefied faith has some defiance in it. Not defiant as in defiant against God. But defiant in the sense that I refuse to live with less than all that God has intended for me. I don't understand milk toast Christianity and milk toast Christians. You know, we, we, we have need of a breakthrough. We have need of healing. We have, and it seems like all too often we are willing to settle. We are willing to sit back and say, oh, I guess this is my lot in life. I guess this is what God has for me. I guess this is his will. And we assign things that, that are not God's will as God's will because we've, we've, we don't have the faith to overcome them. I 
Again, are we going to be people that just stand in line and take what's given? Are we going to step up and say, I believe there's more. I believe there's more. I believe there's more than I've ever received in a church setting before from the Lord. I believe there's more of God than than I've experienced at this point in my life. I believe there's encounters with God that are waiting for me out in the future. If I will just continue to go, go deep in intimacy with the Lord and use my radical faith and get some of that defiant faith that says, I am not going to take milk toast Christianity any longer. I'm not going to live with a weakened version of Christianity like a lot of Americans do, let's be honest, where, hey, I've got a t-shirt, i got my bracelet, you know, I've got my membership card, I'm good. No, no, no. There is more than that. God has intended a version of Christianity that breaks chains, that sets captives free, that delivers addicts. Come on. Jesus Christ is a God of power. When Paul preached, he said, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. I came to you with demonstration power. I want to tell you, if Jesus Christ power is not demonstrated in a church. You have a right to leave that church and go find one that the demonstration power exists in. Why waste your time in a church that doesn't pray for the sick to be healed, that doesn't see people delivered, that doesn't see the power of God displayed? That is the purpose of our faith. A defiant faith is deeply seated in the firm belief that there is more of God than I'm experiencing right now. And I will stop at nothing to get it. How about you, sir, ma'am? Is that you today? Do you understand there's more of God? Are you willing to pay any price to get there? You see, defiant faith can be disturbing to the casual, can be disturbing to the religious who are very much at ease with taking what they are given. But what about those who want more? What about those who say, God, I know there's more. And again, I love how the Old Testament, it's so wonderfully we, we, we see both that humble faith and, and then we also see the mix of defiant faith. And I, I just I was thinking this week, you know, lately on Wednesday night as we've worshiped together and our Wednesday nights have been so powerful. We have a growing number of people that are gathering to worship and to seek God in prayer. And it's been so powerful on Wednesday night. If you don't come, you ought to come. One of the songs that we've been singing we've and we've done it a couple times but i love it because it kind of summarizes what i've been talking about to this point it's an old revival song called there must be more and it's really a defiant call for more of the Lord. It states like, you know, we're not satisfied with where we're at. We want more. I know there must be more. And that's the refrain. That's the chorus of the song. There must be more. So river flow, fire burn. There must be more because listen, there is more for those who are willing to go after God. God is available for those who will pursue him. God is always available with the more for those who are hungry. That's why it says the hungry will be satisfied. The hungry will be filled. The thirsty will be filled because it says in the Old Testament that food is for the eater. Are you an eater of the things of God? 
See, I think sometimes in America we're more concerned about the presentation than we are the actual food. We like to go in and we like to check it out and we'll circle it. And we'll, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. But who is hungry? Who says, you know what? I'm glad for the setting. I'm glad for the dishes. I'm glad for everything that's set up. But what I am here for is the food. I am here for the main course. And the Lord offers the main course for those who are hungry. But fear not. If you don't want more of the Lord, you will continue to live at the level that you are at. I cannot live there. Because Psalms 34.8 happened to me about 25 years ago. I ought to just keep going and let you look up Psalm 34.8 on your own, right? That makes some people mad. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in him. I had a taste of things of the Lord 25, 30 years ago. It's getting longer every time I say it, but it's, <laughs> it's not because I'm trying to purposely <laughs> hide the time. It's because I'm like getting older. But I tasted things of the Lord that I had not tasted before. And I want to tell you there's more. And the hungry will pursue and will catch him and go after him. How's your hunger level today? There is a faith there that is willing to grab a hold of God and saying, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. I'm not letting go of you until I get all of you there is. That faith is rewarded, and that's what we see in Jacob here. He understood quickly that he was wrestling with not a mere man. He was wrestling with a supernatural being. And as he wrestled, he decided at some point, I am not giving up. I don't know how many, has anyone ever wrestled, like, not goofing around, but like in high school or college? Yeah. When you hear wrestle all night, you understand how that man must have felt. I don't know how he did it. Wrestling matches, right? College, high school, you got you got three two minute periods, and you're going hard. And that you said it's only six minutes, man. What are you a wimp? No, no, no. That that six minutes, you are going a hundred percent hard, a hundred percent of the time, and you are just spent. I don't know if they took breaks. I don't know if they were huffing and puffing. I don't know if Jacob at some point was just holding on to his legs and I'm not letting go. He was just like, he was stalling, right? The referee would have been the same. We got stalling on red, one point green. I don't know how it was, but he was just holding on. Wrestling fans are laughing with me right there. He was holding up and he understood this is a being that is special. This is a supernatural and I am not going to let go until he blesses me. That's defiant faith. When I think of defiant faith, I could I could point to many people in history that walked in a defiant faith. Probably no one did it better than the man I'm about to show you on this screen. The man I'm about to show you, I just have a picture of him because he lived before moving pictures, <laughs> video were really available. He he died right at the end or right at the beginning of that time. But this man had a scary radical faith. Now, lots of preachers I've noticed and pastors, they love to quote this man now, but the mo- but in his day, the most controversial thing a pastor or church could have done was to have this man come into their church. 
So think of the craziest, charismatic, Pentecostal lunatic you could imagine today that everyone's like, I can't believe you're having them in. That was this man right here. Smith Wigglesworth, in case you didn't recognize him. This man had a defiant faith. This was the man who was called when a lady's husband had passed away. I think pretty sure I've shared this story before. He passed away. He was in his bed. Smith Wigglesworth went up there. He grabbed him. He put his body against the wall and said, live, and dropped him, and he hit the ground dead still. He did that three or four times. Picked up the corpse, put it against the guy who was in his pajamas, died in his sleep, put him against the wall, live, drop, boom, hit the floor, nothing. Finally, the third or fourth time Smith Wiggles did that, Smith Wigglesworth did that, the man began to cough and breathe and come back to life. That's defiant faith. Defiant faith says, I ain't taking no for an answer. See, some of y'all in here have been taking no for an answer, but it's not God's no you've been getting. You ask, oh, God has an answer. Well, maybe he's asking you to dig deeper. <laughs> it, says in, it says, I think it's in Proverbs, that, that, that God hides treasure for the glory of kings. God hides stuff sometimes, so we will find it, so we will dig. We, th- we, we go like one of these diamond mines in Arkansas. We think we're just going to walk the grounds, and suddenly we're going to find a big diamond laid on the surface. Well, that doesn't happen all that often. There is something to digging deeper in intimacy and prayer with the Lord that uncovers the riches that God has for you. Because you see, God doesn't want to mess with players. He wants to mess with people that are willing to go all in with him and go deep in him. Those are the ones he wants to reward. The final time the man hit the ground, started coughing, breathing, came back to life, Smith Wigglesworth looked at him and said, sir, you need to get dressed. Your family thinks you're dead. My grandma was, I've shared this before, preacher, church planner, pastor. Her and her sister traveled southwest Ohio, preaching the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the 30s and the 40s. I realize this more and more, the more people I talk to, there's churches that are in Pentecost today because of the ministry of my grandma and her sister. I met the grandson of the pastor who founded Lima First Assembly of God. He was just randomly talking. He said, yeah, my grandfather, him and a group of six or seven people went to a meeting with these two sisters that were preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they all got filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, they started a new church because they weren't welcome to where they were because they weren't welcoming Pentecostals, right? And they still don't in some places. And so they went and started Lima First Assembly of God. And I, so we started talking and comparing notes and I realized, your grandfather was in my grandma's meeting and he got filled with the Holy Spirit with my grandma's preaching. It's powerful, man. My grandma was a younger lady in 1920 and this man came to their church. What we know now is Bethel Christian. It was called Bethel Temple when I grew up there as a kid. Smithville Road. Smith Wigglesworth came course back then i don't know they'd have been on buckeye street maybe buckeye street so they weren't on smithville then they're on buckeye street excuse me i get my church history straight all right this man came to their church 
Smith Wigglesworth called for healing, everyone who needs a healing. And this lady got up and began to, I, I, I repeat this story from the, the viewpoint of my grandma. My grandma was there. I don't know her age at that point. She probably had been maybe 20. Okay. Roughly in that boat. This lady went forward for healing and everybody thought she was pregnant because she had a big belly. She went down front, stood in the healing line. Smith Wigglesworth was known to be gruff. Smith Wigglesworth did things back then that most people dare not do today. And if you did do them, you'd better tell me you've been spending the last two weeks straight in prayer. You haven't eaten a thing. You stayed up all night praying and seeking God, and God came to you and told you to do it that way. Then we'll talk. This woman came for healing. It turns out she wasn't pregnant. She had a tumor in her belly. My grandma's bird's eye first person testimonial report. She said, I sat there and Smith Wigglesworth approached this woman with a belly that everyone thought was pregnant, but he knew and she knew she had a tumor. He came with his palm heel and said, in the name of Jesus, Lady laid there on the ground for a little bit. She went down looking pregnant. She stood up looking quite slim because it was all gone. The tumor had completely disappeared by the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You see, I want to tell you, there is something powerful about a faith that won't back down, a faith that is defiant, a faith that says there's got to be more, a faith that says God is real, let man be a liar, I'm going to trust the Lord, and I'm not going to settle for less, I'm not going to settle for no healing, I'm not going to settle for no breakthrough, I'm not going to live my life and come to my 70th year and say, well, I've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoken tongues, it must not have been God's will, I've had senior saints tell me that, and I'm like, a lie. God's desire is to fill you now with the baptism of his Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. There's no two ways about it. That's a lie of the devil that will try to talk you out of the power of God and the glory of God that he desires for you to operate in. The problem is a lot of people just aren't that into God. They're just not that hungry for him. We've had too many of the world's sticker bars and we're just not quite that into it. How about you? You're going to keep taking what you're getting in life? Powerless prayer. Does that bug you yet? Does that disturb you? You know how many people you prayed for and nothing happened? Does that bother you yet? Does that disturb you? Good. If it's disturbing you, good. Then do the smart thing. Let's go deeper. Because see, the dumb thing is people change theology. And then the very ones that would accuse us of using our experience to guide us, they will use their experience to guide them. Where well, I've never seen somebody heal, and I prayed for a lot of people, so I've come to the conclusion that God doesn't heal today. 
It's impossible. Jesus is revealed as the healer. God is revealed as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healers. I have seen people healed. I have laid hands on people and seen them healed. I've seen it happen multiple times. I know better. So Jacob, in many ways, on that bank, you see, he comes face to face with himself. Let's be honest about Jacob, can we? Jacob was kind of a mess, wasn't he? He's vulnerable. Well, look at his posture. He sent the women ahead of him to meet Esau so he'd lay back, right? He'd become dependent on his mother, Rebecca, right? She had to, like, constantly advocate for him. Jacob had a history of deception, manipulation, trickery. He misrepresented things. And he stole the favored blessing of his father from his brother. He was the one who had taken his brother's birthright. He had tricked his blind father, yet he he seemed never to be able to initiate anything. And Jacob fearfully anticipated meeting Esau in the morning. Now, it's interesting when you go back a few chapters, Jacob had this dream that I mentioned a moment ago where angels, right? They're climbing Jacob's ladder, right? They were going up and down. And God spoke to him from the top of the ladder. And he said, Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And then he awoke. And then Jacob pondered if God had visited him during the night and he didn't even know it. And he makes this statement. I've got the verse right here. Then Jacob made a vow. Come on. This is a few chapters before this. Are you tracking? Stay dialed in, friends. Don't let don't let your cell phone call you away right now. Come on. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God is with me and protects me on this journey, I am taking and gives me food to eat and clothing to wear. And I return safely to my father's home. Then the Lord will become my God. Now notice when God talked to him in this particular dream, he said, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. That was his grandfather and his father. And Jacob was not on that list. Because he was shysty. He hadn't had that breakthrough. He hadn't had that encounter yet. And so he listed out. Basically, he's saying, if I can have an encounter with God, I want to be on that list. I want to make that list. So when people said, I serve the God of Abraham and Isaac, they would also throw in, I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But here he says, I want to get on that list. The Lord will become my God. Now here is Jacob by himself. Fast forward onto this riverbank. Jacob was very flawed like me. Like you. But perhaps that night on the riverbank, Jacob faced his own lack. His own failures. He might have said, you know, I want to leave my checkerboard and checkered past behind and I want to encounter the power of God because I know that God is the God of my grandfather and my father. Might be also me too. Could God be my God too? Can he be the one that is named as a follower of of, uh, Jacob follows? I don't know about you, but when I think of great men and women who came before me and my family and the Lord, have you ever wondered if you could make that list? 
If you don't have any posterity ahead of you or behind you of people that live for God. I want to tell you, maybe you're the first in your family. God bless you. Have have you ever thought, you know, can God start a new list with me? Can I make a list? Am I worthy to sit with Steve Hill? Am I worthy to sit with Paul? Am I worthy to sit with Smith Wigglesworth? Am I William uh, William Seymour's? Am, am I will, am I worthy to sit next to men and women of God? Amy Simple McPherson, Catherine Kuhlman, all these saints that have gone on. Will I be Will I be on that list? Can I be worthy to sit next to them in heaven? I don't know about you, but I've wondered: Can I make that list? I think this is what Jacob was pondering. Because, you know, other people have gotten close to God and have been touched by his power and used by him. And I, I want to be on that list. I don't even care if it costs me a limp. I want to be touched by God in such a way that whatever time I have left on this rock that we live on will be a difference-making time for the planet, for people I come in contact with. This might be crazy, but somehow... I think it's similar to the Apostle Peter when when he was in the boat and he said, hey, I want to walk on water too. That occurred to no one else in the boat but him. And I think that same thing is kind of here with Jacob. He's like, you know, while I'm at it tonight, I might as well go for all of God I can. This might be my last chance. So when he suddenly found himself wrestling with an angel of the Lord, he was determined to make sure that happened. The angel struck a devastating blow. It crippled Jacob. The Bible says he walked the rest of his life with a limp. Some of your Bible versions say it, it touched a hip socket, but, but it, it also implies a strike. So the context reveals this was a wound, right? This was a permanent lifetime damage that was done. And, and, and here we see another key point that I want to ask you about this morning. Because you see, rarefied faith of Jacob was willing to pay a price. The question is, are you willing to pay a price for your encounter with God? What limp are you willing to adopt to have more of God in your life? We sort of see this really an echo in the New Testament when Jesus said, you know, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. What's the context? It would be better to go through life without something, being crippled some form or fashion, no eye, no hand, and to be walking with God and to be living with God and walking in the power and the glory of God than to continue life playing games and having every all things working, but we've lacked the power and the glory of God in our life. Because I want to tell you, from this point on, Jacob is different. He treats people different. He acts different. He's got a different name now. He's called Israel. Again, my question for you, are you willing to pay a price for an encounter with God that will transform you? You see, when I look at the cross of Christ, I recognize that there is a cost for an encounter. There is a cost to be paid for encountering God. This is why I want to say we can't get lazy in our pursuit. We can't get sluggish in our prayer or our worship because Jesus has paid a price. A price has been paid so you and I could enter the presence of God. And the only reason we can enter in is because a price has been paid by Jesus. And when we follow him, he asks us to do the same. What price will you pay to follow Jesus Christ? This is basic 
basic, basic Christianity. If your salvation has cost you nothing, you don't have it. That's basic Christianity. If it hasn't cost you friends, if it hasn't cost you lifestyle choices, if something is not different, if you are not changed, if you are not transformed, then you didn't get Jesus. See, we can't afford to become casual. We can't afford an, oh, well, maybe next time mentality. We need to approach with a defiant faith that says, God, I won't let go until you bless me. I know there's more of you to experience. I know the way has been opened. The price has been paid by Jesus. So woe unto me if I live in lazy, self-satisfied Christianity when more is available. I wonder what it might be like together with a company of people on a Sunday morning and walk into a gathering of the church with this mentality. I am here to get more of God. I'm not here to patty cake. I'm not here waiting for the worship leader to say, dear God, lift your hands, get off your rear end, show respect to the King of Kings, because I'm going to walk in with that already in my heart. I'm going to come ready to worship. I'm going to come ready to get my backside to an altar and repent of my sins and get myself right with Jesus and get all that I can from him because we are not here for 72.3 years to play games on this planet we are here to encounter the power of god that will transform us jesus said it this way ask seek and knock the one that asks will receive The one who seeks will find. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Now in our Americanized thinking, like, oh, we understand. Hello? (gasps) Not home. Okay. See you next Sunday, Jesus. Fortunately, we have Greek lexicons. We can tell you what those words actually mean. (laughs) Beyond, right? They mean ask, seek, and knock, but we have a different understanding of those words. That ought to be the way I say that. Knock would be that annoying salesman at your door. Hello? Hello? I see you in there. Hello? How about your kids? Daddy, can we have another egg hunt today? That was a lot of fun last Sunday, Daddy. Got a lot of candy. Can we do another one today? I see we have eggs. I mean, we can just put candy back in the eggs and hide them again. No, honey, we did that. We do that once a year. Uh, Daddy, can we do egg hunt again today? Because it's like, I mean, here's the eggs. It'd be really cool. Uh, No, honey, I'm sorry. Oh, Dad, would you? Mom, can we do a... Can we know how they play you? One hour later, parents are sitting on the patio with their coffee. Okay, go ahead. We hit them out in the grass. You asked me 50 times. We finally caved in. What's it hurt? I don't know. What's it hurt? Doesn't hurt anything. All right, let them have it. See, there's a difference between asking and asking. 
There's a difference from knocking and knocking. There's a difference between seeking and seeking. People say, well, is that a, is that a seeker-sensitive church? I'm like, well, if it is, they're going to do every crazy biblical thing they can because a seeker implies that that person is hungry for all of God. See, I think the more radical and Pentecostal a service is, that's actually more seeker-sensitive. <laughs> Somebody's really seeking, right? And they're, 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 they're looking for more than a pastor in skinny jeans and a warm cup of coffee and some nice Panera bagels. Some cinnamon bagel with the icing on top that's just like, mm, come on, Jesus. If they're here really looking to encounter Jesus, wouldn't it make sense to really give them Jesus? I can't imagine going to a football game and not that the, the team doesn't take the field to play. Oh, I'm not here for that. I'm here for the, you know, I'm here for the concession stand and I'm. I got my binoculars so I can look around and see if I know anybody. And I'm, I'm just here for the game day experience. I'm not really here for the football game. What price are you paying to encounter God? Because listen, Jesus opened the way. This is what Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly. See that? Come on, defiant, boldly, right? Come on, I'm going to pay a price. I'm going to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I'm going to close here in a second. I have a pastor friend who lives down in Jesse, West Virginia. And... uh Not like close friends, but I've had a conversation with them before. But I thought this was interesting that he said a woman had recently sent him a message. And she was concerned for their school. And she said, you know, over half of the students, I got it right here. Over half the students in our high school are using drugs or vaping marijuana, often at school. She said, members of our church would like to help and make a difference, but we don't know what to do. This is what Pastor Jay said. He said, I would begin by calling regular corporate prayer meetings several times a week. I would add petition, I would petition God to send true revival to your community. Drugs are a lesser problem. They are merely the symptom of the real problem, which is spiritual emptiness, which will lead to eternity in hell. Engaging with passionate, fervent prayer for as long as it takes for God to send spiritual awakening is the only real solution, and it's not easy. He goes on to tell this lady in his email, this will be criticized by most Christians as not doing enough. But Scripture and church history show me that this is the only lasting solution. Someone must stand in the gap. This was her response. We have a prayer meeting every other Wednesday night, and I'm the leader of it. 
This was his response to that. He said, then go into intense, fervent prayer several times a week until something changes. Most will say that's not necessary. However, nothing else has worked up until now. Again, throughout history, it's the only thing that changes a community. He said, try to find other believers from other churches that will gather and pray with you as well. I'm about to that point here. If we can't fill this room on Wednesday night with destiny people, I'm about to open it up to whoever will come in here and pray with me. Who will ever want to get belligerent with the devil and pray revival? Because we can complain about our school districts, letting transgender students use the other one's bathroom and, and forsake the safety of our kids. I mean, we let, we're letting all this stuff. We can complain. We can pick it. We can march. We can vote. But I want to tell you, the only thing that's going to change it is prayer. Not throwing shade on anyone here. I'm just, I, I, I just, I, I want to get a company of people that'll, that'll be belligerent in prayer with me. Try to find other believers from other churches that will gather and pray with you as well. Have prayer points, but pray in the spirit as much as you can. Let moanings and groanings of the spirit regularly fill your room. Per Romans 8, 26 through 27. Something must happen. Let the Holy Spirit intercede through you and for you. Pray for God to send revival and tarry. Wait until he shows up. And he shows you what he wants you to do. And then he fills you with power to do it. Her reply was. I presented it to my congregation and it was not met with much enthusiasm. Not surprising. Who will pay a price? Yes, prayer is work. It is work, but it is ultimately amazingly effective yes it's not convenient but how serious are we about revival a lot of christians just have this false narrative going on their mind if we can just get the right man in the white house then everything will change no 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 sorry what that is to me, that's, that, that's, that's spiritual laziness. We want, we want the strong arm of man to come in and fix things that the church is unwilling to pray for and pay the price themselves. A lot of folks had the candidate they wanted a few years ago. Where's the revival? Didn't happen. Because it's not going to change until we stop being spiritually lazy. I love you, church. But I'm, I'm saying this in general. Until prayer meetings are filled, you're just going to hear guys like me and gals, preachers, that they're just say the same thing. Yeah, good word, pastor. Amen. But I'm too busy for that other part. The early church, we talked about this yesterday in our journey to belong class. The early church met every day for prayer in the temple. Could you imagine if we declared, you know what? God is leading us to pray three hours a day between the times of 12 and 3, 7 and 10 at night. We are going to have prayer meetings here around the clock. We are going to ask that everyone is a member that you come and you seek the Lord. You know what would happen? There'd be a lot of churches and religious people say, you know, that's a cult. I, I've already heard. I've already been called that. Now that church is, and it's odd. The people that said that I thought were demon possessed, but <laughs> they, they were church people. I'm pretty sure the, the frog ribbiting and the noises they were making during service wasn't the Holy spirit coming through them. The Lord wants 
to awaken a company of people that will pay the price for encounter, that will pay the price to see the move and the glory of God come upon this earth because it's not over for America. It's not over for this planet. I know things are grumbling. I know creation is groaning for redemption, but the sons of God are being revealed. I believe the sons of God are here in this room. I believe God is raising up sons of God everywhere, right? The church of Jesus Christ. We are the sons and daughters of the Lord. The God that the Lord God is raising up right now for this moment, for this time to make a difference in those around us and make a difference in our neighborhoods, in our homes, at our places of employment. I'm not saying I'm even doing it well, but this is the kind of preaching we need today. I'm not the only one doing it. I'm not suggesting I am, but this is the kind of preaching we need in America today. I don't need any more sermons to sit there for 25 minutes and the pastor tell me how amazing I am. Verse 30 says, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. You see, I'm willing to say this final thing that rarefied faith will seek those face-to-face encounters with God. Has a defiant faith, right? Pay pay for the price for encounters with God and will actually seek out those face-to-face encounters with God. He calls the place Peniel, which means the face of God. And Jacob came away from this place and he had a new take. And if you read this passage, you know what he is not saying. He's not saying the, the obvious, right? I wrestled with an angel all night. Hey, honey, come here. I got a story for you. I wrestled this supernatural being all night long. Didn't say that. He didn't name the place I have wrestled with God all night long. I don't know what that would be in the Hebrew, but I'm sure you could figure it out. He didn't name the place I prevailed. Well, slash, I wasn't killed by an angel by wrestling with him. He didn't. That wasn't the focus of what he said. I will name this place Peniel, which means the face of God, because I have seen God face to face. I have seen God face to face. You see, he had had an encounter with God that changed him, changed his name. It changed his walk. It changed his outlook. Can I ask you an honest question? Have you had this kind of encounter with God yet? changed how Jacob treated others. The man is clearly different. I want to tell you there's a point we all reach where we must make God personal. We must have that face-to-face encounter with Him. And we must know Him for ourselves. We must know God. It can no longer be my grandma's encounter or my grandma's experience or my mom and dad. Or I've heard people it's like they preach themselves to heaven. Well, my mom and dad were godly. That doesn't matter. That's great. But what's that mean for for you how about you if they're not already soon your mom and dad will be gone it'll be you you'll suddenly find yourself as the elder statement in your family 
What's your life message? What are you going to be able to say? What are you going to pass down to your kids, your grandkids? You're going to say, you know what? Face-to-face encounter with God. You better go after it. And there was a point that Jacob wrestled hand-to-hand combat. And he declared, I have seen God face-to-face. And if you'll notice, moving forward in Scripture, Jacob got added to that list. In the future, they said, we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob made the list. Flaws and all. Hot mess and all. Uh, Terrible things that he did. But he encountered God and that changed everything and it got him on the list. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As they wrestle, it's interesting that Jacob wanted to know the name of his combatant, his assailant. And the angel, the assailant, the supernatural being would only answer, why do you ask? But I think maybe it was a more, more in the sense of, do you really need to ask? <laughs> you know who you've been wrestling with. You don't need to know my name. You already know. That's why sometimes people say, was Jacob really wrestling with God or an angel of the Lord? I think most, most fall in the place of probably an angel of the Lord. But if this was like a, a manifestation of God in flesh form, we, we don't, we don't, that's not clear. We don't know that. But something happened in that encounter. And that night, that place in his life, on that riverbank, Jacob named it the face of God because I have seen the face of God and he asked to be blessed I'm not going to let go until you bless me and on that place Jacob came face to face with himself he faced his fears he faced his past he faced his shame and the lifetime he brought to that riverbank and he was willing to take a faith risk and he met God and he grabbed a hold said i'm not letting go until you transform me lord jesus i thank you for the power of your word i thank you for this awesome congregation today i bless them god i bless their open heart and open ears i pray lord jesus that right now that you would speak to hearts in this room i pray lord jesus that you would speak to someone father who hasn't had a breakthrough with you yet lord jesus they haven't had that moment that encounter where they have been transformed by you jesus i pray for those right now in the name of jesus i pray that you would speak to them that you would transform them today in the name of jesus christ would you all Stand with me right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.